Welcome to Your Own Words, a podcast that celebrates the love of reading with real people and real books, both critically acclaimed and slated. Listeners are encouraged to read along and join the journey to the libraries of friends newly discovered. This podcast may contain spoilers, feminist rants, curse words and mispronunciations of names, cities and more. Yeah, I had to put the blinds down because it's snowing outside. And I'm scared of snow, so I I, you had to put them down so that I didn't have to. I was trying to listen, when the roads are wet, the cars make more noise when they go by. So it's a it's I'm trying to make sound better for our listener. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hey Gail. (laughs) (laughs) That was some good science there too. I didn't realise we were branching out from literature to scientific discourse now a sound engineer i'm Mm -hmm, very mm -hmm. talented multi multi multi-talented fuck me it's been a while it's been yeah it's been a while since i've um communicated with human beings as well so this is particularly difficult for i communicated with human beings in general and also recorded an episode of this fucking podcast like a proper one to do this both at the same time I think is a real good um way of restarting life just so in case any listeners were worried we have not got any better or more professional or smarter or um able or functional productive um, yeah if anything it's going downhill so you can uh watch the uh the downfall <laughs> of our minds lives you know we're all of this together <laughs> so uh lockdown's still on yeah how Something's is that haven't for changed. you now <laughs> this remember is the third when, one remember when it started and we were like oh we're, we thought it was funny every episode to be like hey, hey, still in lockdown yeah. and now it's how not are you enjoying anymore. lockdown and now it's just like how much are you enjoying the government being the worst <sighs> uh what else has happened since last season nothing literally Brexit. nothing literally literally nothing happened in my life or has happened yeah. in my life for the last year do you know what's weird actually you know how like technology likes to stalk you uh with better times and then make you feel bad about yourself yeah, so it's really my bad now. phone the other day was like hi yeah this time last year you were in berlin and i and sent me lots of pictures of being in berlin i was just like fuck you phone um yeah yeah i've been i have very recently like this week been uh, made the terrible mistake of getting nostalgic Oh, don't do that. Yeah, and like and like leaning into it. Also, because so... I think being nostalgic in these times is actually just being depressed. I think those two words. <laughs> it's interchangeable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've... Uh, where did it begin? Oh, we started watching... My flatmate Nicole and I started watching The Serpent on BBC, which oh, you wouldn't yeah, think would trigger that. any nostalgia. Yeah, the, the murder it, thing. Because it's a murdery mm-hmm. thing, but it's set in the 70s, and yeah. the fashion reminded me of yeah. how I used to be like a really big 70s fashion person what um i used to you know my aesthetic used to be far more 70s than it now is which i'm going back to goth do you have Uh, an aesthetic now because mine is just roll out of bed and stand up (laughs) 
my imagined aesthetic. <laughs> okay, I was gonna say is you goth. are raising the bar. Is gothic power suits? Uh, am I wearing them? I can't remember the last time I wore a blazer, but I miss them. Um, but anyway, so it it triggered, and the music. So the music triggered, mm-hmm, like, oh, mm-hmm. remember the years yeah. when I was listening to Zeppelin and chasing bands around America. I, yeah. And then I thought, you know what'll be great? Let's watch Almost Famous. So no. last night. We watched Almost Famous. Poor Nicole. We were like, you know what would be great? Let's introduce her to this movie because she'd never seen it. And TJ and I are both like massive. Like for me, it's one of my favorite films of all time. I've seen it a million times. I quote along the whole thing. Very annoying. But we were like, you know what? Let's watch the untitled director's cut, which is almost three hours long. And she definitely enjoyed it, but then was like on her phone for the second Mm -hmm. half (laughs) which i can't even blame her for because if you don't already like love this film you probably don't want to sit through all of the tiny nuanced performances that ended up being cut from the theatrical release um but then it also just made me really sad and so then i went um scrolling through facebook profile pictures of the past and remembering how just silly I was and it's... but sweet and um just a lot of memories just dredged up when you're sitting alone with your own thoughts in a pandemic memories Didn't, are... shouldn't have gone there yeah memories are there. very stupid things to indulge did. in um it's yeah my brother and I so normally in January my brother and I are in Dublin um every January and so in January we were just like Oh, normally at this time we'd be going to Donnybrook Fair, which is a supermarket, but like a really good supermarket. And then we had an hour long conversation about how much we loved and missed being in that supermarket. Like this is this is the level of desperate need to have any kind of reality that we currently have, that we've got to such a point of loss and nostalgia that we spent an hour talking about a supermarket. So, yeah. I, I get it. I get it. It's a lot. It's a lot. Oh, you know, it's exciting to look to the future, but also the past. That's not even a segue. I'm so rusty, dude. Um, I got an email last night whilst I was being nostalgic and a little wine hazy at midnight um, that said my ancestry DNA results have come in. So, but then I texted Nicole and I was like, probably shouldn't open this at midnight when I'm in a wine haze and she's like no don't do that to yourself like save it so I haven't opened it yet okay but I'm very excited next episode I'll tell you all um I'm really hoping that I don't find out that I actually was related to that Nigerian prince that emailed me (laughs) and wanted to send me a ton of money um no just kidding I'm just excited to see how white I actually am it's gonna be so like the whitest Mm -hmm. of white it'll just be like you're English forever yeah. Congrats. Your whole family history is in Warrington. The end. Yeah. yeah. Woo! But I'm excited nonetheless. It was a Christmas present. I and I'm just uh, curious to see what uh, what's up. So stay tuned. <laughs> Tune in. Uh exciting results to be revealed on the next episode of Oh fuck me. This is going well. I feel like this is going well. This is going well. Yeah. Hey, though. Segway. 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 Speaking of nostalgia. Yeah. I'm very excited about today's episode. For Because this book I read in high school, and it's been one of my favorite books forever. So this this episode in itself is a wonderfully nostalgic one. I, Um, too, studied this book 
during See, my I didn't study undergrad. It. Um, ah. I did it for, it was part of my romantic literature unit for my undergrad. Um, and I wrote a lot of essays on this book. Um, and did I you remember, go back and read them? I, I did read a couple. Um, it's really, it's super fun to like read stuff that you wrote when you were like a younger intellectual and how naive your your intellectualism was and I'm like how did I get a first for this like what <laughs> Jesus um yeah I wrote do, a lot of essays about it do you did you bring um excerpts to share with I us? shall be quoting throughout yes. constantly uh, I'm excited for my own all, podcast. all I'm actually gonna do is just read from the top <laughs> to the bottom of one We're of not my even going to get to the guest. Regardless of what you guys start talking about, I'm just going to pick an essay at random and I'm just going to read from top to toe. Um, but it's it, I was thinking about, um, nostalgically, I was thinking about when I studied it. So I don't remember anything else from that unit. I don't remember who taught it. I don't, I literally don't remember anything else about it. But I remember Rebecca. <laughs> well, you've just spoiled. You just spoiled the. That's uh, suspense. the end of the episode. I mean, um, by the time they're listening to this, it will be titled "Season Three, Episode One: Rebecca" by <laughs> Daphne Du Maurier. So they might, they might have suspected. <laughs> um, but yeah, I agree. I mean, we'll get to it obviously when we discuss it with our fabulous guest. But uh, this is one of those books that everyone's read this me. book. I swear, as well. Like it's so it. And and I know a lot of people that have read it in a lot of different times and a lot of different ways, but everyone seems to have read this book at some point. Yeah, it's very rare that you find someone that doesn't know it, which is great because it's yeah. not just like, it's very on brand for me or for you as someone who studied literature, or for me, who's just like a goth um, at heart. So it's obviously I was like, spooky goth romance. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like everybody, everybody knows it, which is great. And I'm excited to finally, it's also finally the first and so far only, uh, including all of the applications we've had for this season. <laughs> the only submission is of a book that I've actually read before. <laughs> But you were going to maybe do this book as well. This was one of yeah, your... Yeah, that's I'll the other thing. This, I was on the fence when we started this podcast for my first, our introductory books. It was either going to be Rebecca or uh, Hey Nostradamus, which I ended up doing. And I've constantly, I think, regretted and wondered if I made the right choice. But now I'm excited that I get to talk about it you... anyway and to get other people's uh, thoughts and feelings on it, which is yeah, super exciting. So that said, should we uh, start wanna... with some some information? Should we? Do we have any? Uh, I have some information. Okay. So here's the thing. Well, so let's start. talk about the author, <laughs> which is my job. So I was looking for... Here's the thing. This is one of the first like classics that we've done. I think this is I'm not the mistaken. first like, proper, I think this is like, proper style, the meaning first of classic as opposed to things from the 90s, which now people think is old. So they call them yes. classics. Just... Like the beach. Yeah. Um... <laughs> nailed it <laughs> thank you love you lucy um so because of that you go like oh i'm just gonna find a bio for daphne du maurier and then you find essays and historical novellas and actual full hardback biographies and there's nothing there was nothing succinct and um i also did not take the time to like chop and change and write my own so Listen, if you want to know about Daphne du Maurier, there's so much information on her. She's a very interesting woman. I'm going to give you about three sentences. 
um, just to, to whet your whistle <laughs> um, because I'm lazy. Um, so this is basically like the opening sentence from the British Library's uh, website about her. Um, so Daphne du Maurier, 1907 to 1989, is one of the best loved authors of popular fiction of her generation. Her novels established her as a master storyteller, but she also wrote plays, short stories, and biographies. Haunting and atmospheric, her work occupies a unique place in 20th century literature, appealing to a broad audience, yet worthy of literary merit. I didn't realize she was um, alive so late. Yeah. I was quite surprised by that. I did learn in my trying to find a shorter bio, I learned a lot about her. I learned there's uh, a lot of... uh, rumors about her being bisexual and having dalliances with many women which Mm -hmm. i found interesting i learned she was a dame of the british empire which i did not realize yeah uh well deserved and uh yeah she had a very interesting kind of sordid history she was married to an army guy a sordid affair with some other great female writer or yes but i can't name that person maybe (laughs) (laughs) but it was like yeah that oh that's really annoying because it's really interesting and i feel like there's a a character that she a book that she kind of based oh. on it um yeah that's very intriguing yeah basically she's a very interesting person so i would encourage you to and myself i'm now i want to do a deep dive into uh her i've just i've loved her work for many many a year <laughs> um and i've loved her as a writer but i didn't really know anything about her so uh if those it, it three sentences were not enough for you then um and do your own do your own damn work you can't be relying on us all of the time listen it's a pandemic man like the fact that i got enough of an attention span to copy and paste that (laughs) i should be awarded i should be awarded an order of the british empire for that well you have to work out what your ancestry is first yeah true Mm -hmm. bringing it back it's very british i'll I'll definitely be Mm -hmm. able to run for office here okay Um, cool um, my turn. And you struggled with synopses. Right? I did. I Yeah, but for a similar reason, I think, when something is so well known and considered such a classic, you either get really, really long, detailed synopsis or you get not very good, short, little ones. And I went for the not very good, short, little one. Um, yes. <laughs> so I hope that sells it to everyone. Annoyingly, the one on the back of your book was loads better. Um, but hey-ho. Um, so the novel begins in Monte Carlo, where our heroine is swept off her feet by the dashing widower, Maxim de Winter, and his sudden proposal of marriage. Orphaned and working as a lady's maid, she can barely believe her luck. It is only when they arrive at his massive country estate that she realises how large a shadow his late wife has cast over their lives, presenting her with a lingering evil that threatens to destroy their marriage from beyond the grave. Um, and that was from Goodreads. And also could have just read Older Man Takes Advantage of Vulnerable Young Girl. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. We, we'll get there. <laughs> um, <laughs> if we go at this rate, we'll just like our dear guest who for some unforeseen reason wanted to be present for this introduction, which we've been sparing our virtual guests from this entire time. Um, but she decided she wanted to witness this uh she's just been nodding along and at this yeah. rate she'll just be doing that for the whole episode i mean we'll i don't even her. want to be here so i have no idea why <laughs> someone else would <laughs> it's going very well love you too uh-huh. um <laughs> 
So, our guest today is Gemma. She's an avid book collector and library book sniffer, which I love, uh, based in Glasgow. We continue in our Scottish adventures. Uh, she's currently studying forensic psychology, and she's fascinated by true crime. She says she loves nothing more than going full cozy with her cats in a book, embracing full spinster life, which I think, Beck, you and I can both. What you mean? <laughs> I mean, minus the cat. Just swap out cat Literally. for dog, and you've got me. Absolutely no idea. Very unrelatable. Welcome, Gemma. Hi. Hello. Hi. Thank so you excited. Me. Oh, we're so excited that you're here. Yeah. And so excited, uh, as you heard, because you were here for the intro, that uh, you chose this book. When mm. it when it came through, I was just like thrilled beyond reason. And at first I was like, I don't have to read it again. And then I was like, no, of course mm. I have to read it again. It's literally been like 20 years. <laughs> I literally, I think 20 years. it because of the 10 essays that I wrote on it. <laughs> so I feel like... <laughs> I think it's in there (laughs) for keeps. Fair enough. So let's uh, get to know Gemma a little bit better. I generally am more prepared for this section, but I'm not. (laughs) Um, But I think the obvious question, the obvious first question is, how's the pandemic treating you? Mm, um, Well, a bit the same as everyone else, really. Not a lot to report. Um, I've finally got to the stage where I can focus enough on reading because it was quite hard. I find it quite hard to read for the first couple of lockdowns. I think everybody's kind of like that. It's hard to focus when mm. the world is on fire. Um, so, yeah, so I've uh, got to a couple of books. I also reread um, Rebecca, even though um, it's not been that long since I first read it, believe it or not. Oh. Um, it actually, I actually came to it quite late in life, considering it is definitely my vibe and um, dark atmospheric books. And I love a bit of history, and I love a sprawling, monstrous mansion. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. But um, yeah, mostly reading and watching copious amounts of television, which is pretty bad. Yeah, mm. we've we've been there. I mm. think we well on our little end of year special, we discussed what we've been binging. There's a lot. Have you been binging anything exciting? What, oh, I was still in Scientology on? world then. Oh yeah, I have moved on from that. And just so just <laughs> to answer my own question, um, it doesn't make sense. I don't have an answer, and I can't explain it to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. That, that's after that watching like 16 hours yeah. worth yeah, of sitting there. there going when will it make sense mm. why are they walking around a sailor there is no answer no um, so i'm glad that we brought be, that up i thought it'd be quite frustrating if that, that was a subject you decided to study or really you know deep dive into and yeah like you say you literally come out the other end and go no no yeah. answers no there, there no is logic. literally no answers Nothing. it's just some old dude that liked boats yep um and and wanted some money and that's basically it. And there's nothing else to it. <laughs> it's quite bizarre that it has managed to sustain this long. Um, but God, yeah, that was lockdown too. I went there. And uh, mm. Mm. Well, who gotta, knows what will happen You've got to keep your, your days filled with something. <laughs> Gemma, so you said you your vibe, mm. dark atmospheric sprawling mansions. Is that yeah. is that how you would generally categorize your reading? I know you're... 
uh, because I've known you for a bit now. I know you whip through books. And is it like crime books that you're into a lot of? So, oh, I, oh, I find it hard to kind of narrow it down because I've read so much. I, all growing up and everything, I was like a total Matilda. So just ripping through books. Um, got a very big horror collection. Do love a bit of a, um, do love a bit of Stephen King, just for, mm. you know, like an easy whip through read. There was The Shining's one of my most favourite books. So that was on the list of what I might pick. Um, but then I've also got an obsession with really post-apocalyptic kind of dystopian future type things and, um, Fahrenheit 451, that's right up there as well. So, Mm -hmm. um, but the reason that I went for, um, Rebecca over all of the other options, um, one of which was also Wuthering Heights, which if you guys have read that, that's, I feel like that's like a sister novel to this, um, along with kind of Jane Eyre and things, but um I just I just really love a book where you come away from it and you miss not just the characters but the actual setting and obviously Mm. you want to buy in this case you want to buy a train ticket immediately to Cornwall um (laughs) yeah so so I can see it um but yeah a bit of gothic literature love it so I'm wondering if maybe one of the reasons that you found it hard to focus on reading was because post-apocalyptic literature <laughs> and global pandemic yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah. sat too together a little bit too <laughs> well. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's not a lot of sunshine in my book collection. Um, obviously, I, I didn't even touch on the true crime book collection, which is a, a whole other a whole other section that's just out of control as well. Um, but yeah, no, you're totally right. It's um, have to be careful what you pick in terms of yeah. keeping the vibe light during these yeah. times. <laughs> yeah, I think we, we touched on that was a bit of a struggle as well. Like focus is one thing, which I know, yeah. like I lack on a good day. But uh, yeah, it's like all that time to sit silently with yourself. You got to be careful what you're choosing to ingest, says the girl who has whipped through every true crime documentary series. <laughs> slash like I said the serpent just some lighthearted stuff yeah this is like a moment where I wish that podcasting was a visual medium because I really want our listeners to appreciate where Gemma is right now (laughs) so she let me just like describe this for you she is sitting in a black leather high-backed armchair with a cat on her lap (laughs) Surrounded by, I see at least three, if not four, black bookcases that are like full to the gills with lots and lots of books. Like, I want to be sitting in that room. I'm very, very envious. Is this like, is this like a book corner? Like, can you like tell us where, where in your home, you're in your home. So what is, what is this space that you're in? So, um, like a lot of book obsessed people, um, I have always wanted to be surrounded by books and you know you have the um the dream when you're a kid that well maybe not everyone but I did where I would uh, live in a house where I would have a library room um yes you know life kind of intervened however I've just recently moved into uh, a new flat on my own um like a Glasgow tenement and finally got enough bookshelves to get all of my books on uh, where they actually belong 
um you you don't want to know where they were before but um it was books are good insulation so they were all around the walls but now they're actually on the shelves so yeah and I am quite um anal with my books as well so they are organized in certain <laughs> Um, Please, can you t- yeah. tell us how you organize them? Because I just organized and I had a, a bit of a meltdown trying to figure out how to do it. So I I, I really like the, the visuals of people organizing them by color, but I couldn't deal with that myself personally. Um, so I've got an entire bookcase of kind of modern to classic fiction. And then I've got um, two shelves of uh, Stephen King. I'm turning around to look now. Um, I've got all my plinths on two shelves as well (laughs) and then I have um, about four shelves of true crime books in that corner and then I've also got five shelves of non-fiction as well just biographies and history books and things because I like to know things about things so yeah (laughs) Beck do you want to ask the question it feels like the appropriate time the question um, when organising your books (laughs) (laughs) Is it noticeable how many more paperbacks or hardbacks you have because you have a preference in that area? I really enjoy how you worded that. (laughs) So I really, really wanted to sit on the fence because there really are, I've thought about this all week, there really are (laughs) pros and cons for both. Um, If you are going to go directly with quantity in my collection, there are more paperbacks. However, I do I do fall into the plinth camp. Yes! <laughs> Season three, I'm making a comeback! And how do you manage to keep your wrists <laughs> healthy? Uh, um, generally, like the weight on your shoulder, if it's in a bag, you know, do you want to tell us about some of the ergonomical disadvantages of that and how you manage them? I mean, I do have some exercises to keep mm-hmm. the strength there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I have some supports when needed. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this is why I kind of found it hard to choose because as um, we were talking about earlier on, just before we started, I have multiple copies of my favourite books so that I can read through a paperback and keep a beautiful plinth copy. Um, yeah. But again, quite controversially, as you guys can see, um, I am not a dust cover fan. Um, okay, so Beck, Beck, Beck gets a moment. Where do they go? So, In the bin. Well, the only one that I actually still have the dust cover on is Rebecca. I was just going to say, mm-hmm. yeah. you yeah. showed us your it copy is, of Rebecca. Yeah. It is yeah. particularly it's beautiful, beautiful though, so that makes sense. Yeah, because it's a beautiful yeah. cover. Um, and it's all embossed um, supposed to look like the handkerchief with a big R on it but yeah the majority of the rest of them as you can see I don't have the dust covers on I just prefer the yeah. I like the way the light hits the metallic lettering on the spine I know that's so nerdy but it's the truth <laughs> no it's yeah. I it's a reason that I struggle with it and I mean Beck knows I've come a bit of a way I've I've removed some but I I can't commit to removing all. Yeah. No, and some the... dust covers are really nice. Yeah. Some dust covers are really nice. So it does depend on what's underneath. Yeah. If yeah. the underneath is really lovely, then I'll consider it. But I still, I can't even say it without kind of cringing because <laughs> I, I, I have like a well, visceral I, reaction. I sent you a plinth book for Christmas and I had a dust 
cover on and I was it was sad in my house and I had to work so hard internally on myself not to remove that dust cover and put it in the she bed. literally it's right here actually <laughs> let me let I was sat there going like Alison will want the dust cover like you just sit just sit just let it be just let it be but it was <laughs> it was a challenge for me so this is Beck got me a, a, a gorgeous oh, Peter yeah. Gabriel biography mm-hmm. hardcover and she wrote where is it? oh my god in the inscription <laughs> She's making fun of me and (laughs) stating her point. I mean. You have no idea, in parentheses, you do, how hard it has been not to remove the coat from this plinth and put it in the bin. But look, this is just how much I love you. Merry Christmas 2020. What a year. You see? That's true friendship. The things I I do for people. Definitely. Um, Definitely. The sacrifices you make. (laughs) The sacrifices I make. Um, I think the thing that we keep coming back to with the whole hardback paperback thing is that people generally prefer reading paperbacks, but hardbacks look beautiful and they look good on a shelf and they have that kind of special quality to them where people want to own them because it feels like something special and important and meaningful. It feels like more like an item rather than something that you read, whereas paperbacks are just more like, I want to read it because it's easier to read. I listen, I will state that I do a, more or less agree with this logic, but I'm still going to die on the plinth hill. Uh-huh. Like, obviously, I've committed, I'm stubborn. But it is, you're right. It's similar to like now with music, you don't like nobody, you don't have to, even if you buy, you buy digitally, right? But there are albums that you love so much that you're like, for me, I'm like, I'm getting the vinyl. Yeah. Like, I want this on vinyl because I want this the artwork and I want the physical, beautiful copy of it. And yeah. so I'll I'll now get the vinyl. So it's a similar thing, right? It's like you invest in a beautiful, like, yeah. physical Object. copy of something that you love that much. So definitely. I still read hardbacks and don't <laughs> mind doing it, though. Um, yeah. Well, I'm I mean, I don't think I got a single person on my team last season, so I am very <laughs> thrilled to be starting. Yeah, we had a lot of really wise people last <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Season two, Beck's favorite season. <laughs> yeah. But I'm happy to be starting. This gives me hope for 2021, you know, where finally wow. something good is happening. You've just put a lot of weight on Gemma there for this whole <laughs> no, year. No you are my hope for this whole year. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, it can't get worse. So you're probably going to be okay riding that one out. Shouldn't have said that. Sorry. <laughs> good God. I fucked it all. You went there. <laughs> yeah. So I was curious with this book. Um, so before I ask you, Gemma, to kind of give us the your synopsis of Rebecca. I have a feeling, and this is something we haven't dealt with before, but this is, because this is a classic and is very well read, and also I think it would be very difficult to discuss it without, I have a feeling like, spoiler alert everyone, if you haven't read Rebecca and you don't want to know, you probably shouldn't listen to this episode because I really think we need to discuss the entire story, including the ending. So is everyone, do you guys feel the same about that before we dive in? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I just think, let's just assume that the listeners have read it Mm -hmm. and are comfortable with spoilers because otherwise it's like, it's a pretty short conversation. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't, stop now, read it, come back. (laughs) Yeah. And also if you haven't 
read it, but you've watched the terrible Netflix oh, thing. Um, we're talking about something completely different. It's <laughs> a different, different story. Um, so you're not going to be able to base your response on Yeah, that. I definitely, I am imagining we will have a will whole section of this podcast mm, about yeah. adaptation. Mm-hmm. Episode two. <laughs> yeah I we could make this a two-parter I have a lot to say about Rebecca but uh, that said I'm gonna shut up and let Gemma um can you tell our listeners in your own words uh what Rebecca is about yeah um so obviously this is kind of what I get from the book so it might be different for different people but for me it's a book about a young self-conscious inexperienced girl swept up in the idea of a mysterious older man this mysterious hulking mansion and um and how the the specter of his first wife uh kind of envelops her and kind of takes her over the recurrent theme throughout the whole book for me is very much how so much of it is in her head so so much of it is her talking about what she thinks people think and what she thinks people should you know what she thinks she should be doing to to kind of be the the new uh, Mrs. De Winter and how she doesn't feel worthy and things like that. Um, and it's just so much of the book. I, I don't think I took that in the first time I read it. Um, mm. And yeah, on the the revisit, I was just like, wow. It's not that she's an unreliable narrator as such. I don't I wouldn't go that far, but I do think that she's um, there's a lot going on in her little head. Um, <laughs> Also, maybe controversially, I don't think it's a romance. Yeah. It's not. Yeah, it's not very I, romantic. No. I I, I think, honestly, yeah. if you take the book by itself, and obviously we were talking about adaptations and things, which is hard when you've watched all the things and read all you know, read all the, the essays, not Beck's essays, although I want you to send me them. Um, <laughs> I will read them because I'm that much of a nerd. Um it's hard not to kind of forget that those aren't in the original book, you know, like the characterizations and the different films and mm. how the actors act with each other and things like that. But in the book, if you take it by itself, it's so cold, um, yeah. which there is really no like. love there. Yeah. There's, there's no, there's not even a touch of romance. Um, yeah. And I really like that about it. I thought that was really brave of, of Demore. She's just, you know, if you think about when it was written and things like that, and and the class, the older classics that it's been compared to, like Jane Eyre and things like that, there was still a bit of um, kind of hope for romance in it, and I think that this is just dead. <laughs> it's pretty bleak. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like um, bleak's the right word. I think that's the word I was searching for. So, um, I didn't know if you want an actual synopsis of the plot. That's really just what I get from it, though. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the plot's pretty simple. Man yeah. or young girl narrator mm-hmm. meets older, rich man in Monte Carlo, mm-hmm. gets married inexplicably, uh, yeah. is constantly worried she can't measure up to his ex-wife, mm-hmm. uh, insert creepy housekeeper that's obsessed with ex-wife to just further that whole thing along, and then... Uh, you know, the end happens. Yeah. <laughs> As it often does. <laughs> and then the end happens. And then we find out what people truly feel about Rebecca. Mm-hmm. I think when I when I read this, I, I just was so fascinated. And it's actually like another fun thing about 
doing uh, an episode on a classic is that you can literally just let Google book club questions and there's like 8 million uh, and they were just a lot of them are really obnoxious. Like what <laughs> themes did you feel a bit like? Eh, Sorry, Bex already studied all that and written all the words about it. But um, the the one question that struck me and that I, I'm curious to kind of hear both of your thoughts and feelings on it is like, is this a ghost story? Do you feel like this is a ghost story? No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> straight in there. <laughs> Sorted. No, Thank you. The end. It isn't a ghost story. I mean, it just isn't a ghost story. You know, someone's the memory of someone mm. uh sort of presiding over someone else's thoughts and feelings mm. is not the same as a ghost story yeah. it's not it's not it's just not a ghost story it's like a, it's a psychological thriller in a sort of yeah. like more mediocre essence mm. it's not a thriller in that sense of ah but it's it's a psychological <laughs> thriller in an itv uh, drama kind of a way <laughs> nice i agree with that but I would say if somebody said to me, oh, I really want to read a ghost story, then I'm not going to recommend this book as the, as the first choice. However, I don't want to sound like one of those uh, obnoxious answers, but <laughs> she does haunt um, Maxim, mm. as in Rebecca, does haunt Maxim. Um, and she does haunt Mrs. De Winter and um, obviously not in a memory sense because she just makes up this idea of her in her head. Um, she, yeah, she, there's, she's all over uh, Manderley, everything from her little handkerchiefs and everything embroidered everywhere in her writing desk and everything like just, she is, she put her touch on everything in Manderley. So I guess if you, in the context of the book, it is like her ghost haunts it because it's like the like you say like the memory haunts him um and the idea of her haunts uh mrs stillington i think yeah i think i i do agree that it's not a ghost story technically um but i think what i loved and love continue to love about this book is that it manages to be spooky and creepy and eerie and give you that sense of dread and unease that a ghost story would without there actually being any ghosts at all and i just it's think that's a, a credit to her writing that yeah. she manages to make that feeling in you without actually any scare tactics or any sort of you know ghostly apparitions or mm -hmm. you know cheap thrills of like something moved and you know it's but you still feel this sense of dread Mm -hmm. and like you're waiting for you know something to happen the whole time it's just like a really I just found it just so interesting like how did she manage mm -hmm. to create this I think it shows the power of the unknown and when we don't have answers and we're when we're taken out of our environment and we're put into someone else's environment and we're not given any resources mm -hmm. to make sense of it I think it just shows how powerful that lack of knowledge, but also lack of feeling and emotion and warmth. Like you said, it's incredibly cold. Mm -hmm. So you're taken from one space, you're put into another, you're given absolutely nothing. And the mind just absolutely runs wild. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it just sort of shows the power of, you know, we need, we need warmth and we need kindness mm -hmm. and we need, 
basic knowledge and we need our needs to be basically met and when you remove all of that and you're young and vulnerable and don't really know a lot about life then it it, you know you end up sort of well you go a bit mad Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I think it's it shows the power of that almost becomes a ghost-like figure in itself it becomes something that you're fighting against because you have no way of making sense of it and no one's giving that, you yeah. the context for anything. Yeah. No. Yeah. So you yeah. I said, I remember it's... saying, I messaged back while I was doing my reread slash listen, because I listened to the audiobook this time, which is very good and I highly recommend it. Um, <laughs> this book, imagine how short this book would be if people just said what was going on really yeah. in their heads. It would yeah. be like three yeah. sentences long. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, she just said... It's all unspoken emotion, yeah. and that's what... That's, yeah, it's all yeah. just everything that's unsaid. Yeah. Everything that's yeah. unsaid makes this giant sweeping novel, when if yeah. you're just like, hey, I'm really scared, and I'm worried I'll never live up to your ex-wife. Oh, actually, I hated her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spoiler yeah. alert, I killed the, her. Even to the point that <laughs> oh. she doesn't even... <laughs> She doesn't even have a name. We don't yeah, even give. Yeah, I wanted to bring that up too. So the yeah. narrator so, does. Yeah, we never have a name for her. No. Like she's. We this, never know her name, which kind of adds this feeling of she's insignificant. Yeah. Like yeah. you, she yeah. doesn't even get a name. She doesn't even. And everything is unknown. Yeah. yeah, like to the point where we don't even know the name of the person that is mm-hmm. whose mind we're in yeah. <laughs> and what whose perspective we're seeing things from. Like we don't know anything. I think that helps to. Um, for me it helped me to identify with a character as well because yeah, sometimes when you're um reading books and it or you know it's the same if you're watching movies and things and you know the drama unfolds because things are unsaid and you end up screaming at it going why would you not just say you know but when you read this book I didn't get that from it because you put yourself in your shoes of someone for me I think she's in her late teens super super young and you don't speak out when you're that age and it doesn't it doesn't matter that it's set in the in the thirties. You know, it's still the same when you're you're a young woman put into a situation that you're not familiar with, and you um, look up to the people around you and think, oh well, they automatically know best. You don't question it. You don't say it out loud. You and also if it's your insecurities, because all of it is her feeling insecure about um, Rebecca. Um, you don't want to voice them because it's like, well, I'm going to sound daft, you know. So. So I think it it works so well, and like you're saying, like her not having a name, it just makes her completely. It just takes away so much of her agency. Mm. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's that um, powerlessness is terrifying, yeah. and that's what the whole you know, even from the fact that she doesn't, ha- she doesn't even have voice enough to identify herself. Like that's the level of powerlessness that we're starting yeah. with. And that's from the beginning and it just gets worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And so the terror for me was not so much the ghost of Rebecca. Um, it was the powerlessness mm-hmm. and this kind of trying to, because she's powerless to everyone. She's powerless. She's powerless to Rebecca. She's powerless to Maxim. She's powerless. She has no agency anywhere. And that is absolutely terrifying mm-hmm. and just becomes more and more so because where do you go? Who do you turn to? Yep. When every time you turn to someone, you find out, oh, God, I've got no power here either. I'm not even equal. Like, what do you do? You become lesser and lesser and lesser. And she goes from being... That's the frightening thing. She goes from being the companion to this loud-mouthed woman in uh, Van Hopper, um, who basically says, yeah, good luck with that. 
you know, yeah. or you're or you're going to be the mistress of Manderley. Yeah, good luck with that. You've got big shoes to fill. So she's automatically on the back yeah. foot, like, oh, great, good. And then when she gets there, <laughs> and if remember the bit where um, she gets the phone call, and um, oh, looking, God. yeah, and the the person's like, yeah, I'm looking for uh, Mrs. De Winter. She's like, oh, I'm afraid she passed more than a year ago. And in my head, I was like, oh my God, that is totally what would happen because she can't even think mm-hmm. she can't even see herself yeah. as no no actually yeah. that's that would be you yeah yeah um yeah. so yeah just so cringy. you're so removed mm-hmm. from from everything and everyone mm-hmm. you you don't have a name you don't respond to the name that you're now given like there's you basically don't exist mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and somehow Rebecca who literally doesn't exist mm-hmm. exists more than mm. you and you're constantly trying to find any any balance in that, but you can't. Also, because you're a child, yeah. <laughs> realistically, like mm-hmm. you know, I I'd be fucked if that were me. <laughs> like, I, I think it could be in a big mansion at the age of like eighteen, nineteen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what? The Mate, fuck if am I, if I was supposed to be in charge of a mansion at age thirty four, I think I'd still struggle. To be fair, I can barely manage these two rooms. <laughs> so, like, honestly. <laughs> I'm I'm curious because I I mean I know I can probably have this conversation with Beck, but um you mentioned Gemma that you came to this book late. Can I ask when when did you discover it? Because for me it was very interesting to have read this originally at age thirteen or fourteen, mm-hmm. I think, and now to go revisit it at age thirty four, like literally twenty years later, and I just felt so sorry for her in a way that I don't recall feeling that much oh my god you poor little lamb because I guess when I read it the first time she was older than me even Mm -hmm, then mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so I'm just curious I I, perhaps you wouldn't have had the same distance in your reading but when did you when did you come to this book I'm actually um I'm quite jealous of of you having that experience I I think when I read it I just felt like I'd I'd you know missed out on reading it so much earlier and the main reason being because I love Wuthering Heights so much that was the one that I read in school and and that was the first classic that I really felt um, enthralled by. And uh, so it was actually in 2014. So it was oh, really wow. recently. And um, a friend who had similar kind of tastes in reading and she we spoke about Wuthering Heights and she's like, oh yeah, I mean, it's the same as my love for Rebecca. And I was like, oh yeah, I've, I've not actually got around to reading that. And she nearly fell off her chair. She's like, read it now. <laughs> um, so I did. And it's probably, there's very few books that I've actually had a visceral reaction to, like like the ending um, mm. of me actually going, <gasps> you yeah, know. the ending um, is amazing. When it happened and then texting my friend immediately going, oh my God, he killed her. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I hadn't watched any of the movies at that point either. So, which again. Well, that's at least good. That's good yeah. that you, you got that first reading or On experience of it without exactly. knowing. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's, I don't know how I'd managed to miss it, but I'm glad that I came to it in that way. But yeah, I would have liked to have read it um, in, in, in kind of two different ages. But yeah, you do look back on it and, you know, previous relationships and things like that. And it's linking up. So Yeah, definitely. Mm. How did you find back your, your essays? My first, well, it was, it was, so I hadn't read it before I read it for uni. Oh, really? 
Um, yeah, mostly because my father hates Daphne de Maurier um, and would uh, uh, really just didn't, doesn't, doesn't think she's a very good writer, doesn't like her as a writer at all. And so I always had that mm. kind of in my head of like, oh, Daphne de Maurier. So I didn't want to read it when it came to having to read it. But I also think I didn't want to read any of the other books. So <laughs> I went with the ones that my friends were doing, I seem to remember. Um, and I just, yes, yeah, so it was interesting because obviously I read it in the context of studying it, which is a very different way of reading yeah. a book. Um, but what I do really remember about it is is friends loving it. And specifically one friend who... I, I, I think we did this book quite early on in my undergrad. I think it might have been the first year. Um, and I remember one friend who just hadn't really enjoyed any of the other books, just being obsessed with this and just loving it so much. And I, I kind of fell in love with it because of her reaction, because of seeing how much she loved it. She was like, what just happened at the end? <laughs> like, just like the conversations that we were having in that course around that book was so different to the ones we'd had before. Because especially the women were just like, <laughs> so many opinions. Um, and so it just changed, I guess, how I saw that book because I saw that it was affecting people. And both the people were just enjoying it. Like, this is a good story. And also that it was making people think. And then I had to study it from women's perspective and with women's theory and sort of gender theory and all that. So it was, it was kind of a weird way to read it for the first time, having purposely avoided Daphne du Maurier because she wasn't a very good writer um so yeah it was, it was, but I, in your I father's it. opinion in my father I mean I don't think she's the best writer in the world I get what he's saying like she's a bit over the top sometimes like calm it down Daphne we don't need this much imagery um <laughs> but you know she's a good storyteller she writes a good story mm. and the whole like that kind of world of literature that she was writing in was very much sort of quick storytelling bring people into it make it rich yeah make it you know intense and sort of over the top in that sense of 1930s-ness uh, and she does that particularly well so it, it works mm. for me yeah. I think um in the context of uh, Demore herself there's quite from I, I don't know I haven't read a biography I don't I don't have a huge um amount of information about her life but from what I have read um in terms of what what you mentioned before about her bisexuality and things like that there's quite a lot of readings to do with um sexuality and things in the book um which is ironic because I feel obviously there's no sex or romance in it at all but they're talking yeah. about in relation to like Mrs. Danvers' obsessions with Rebecca, mm. um, and especially in the the scene in the bedroom where she's showing uh, Mrs. De Winter all her things. Yeah, and so she's like creepy. Yeah, and she's like feel how soft this is against your face with her nightdress yeah. and things in her lingerie and stuff. And I can see where that reading comes from. For me, it didn't it didn't kind of stand out before I'd I'd seen that mentioned by someone else. Um, but I thought it was quite interesting that maybe she might have been putting little bits of herself in there. And obviously when she wrote it, she was in, um, I think it was Cairo. Um, as you said, her uh, husband was in the army at that point. She did not like being there. She missed Cornwall. Um, she was pretty unhappy. But I think it's interesting that to me, when I found that out, I was like, well, that's where I think that they are at the end of the 
the book. Um, well, mm-hmm. the beginning of the book, if you if you like, um, yeah. bef- before the flashback. Um, to me, that's where sh- the narrator is telling us the story from. Um, so I like I like things like that. I like looking into the details of it. But um, I'd be interested to, to see whether you guys thought that there was any of those themes. I did, but because I that was how I approached it. So I I wrote essays on queer theory and this Danvers. Um, and looking at that scene and so I thinking about it now I kind of wish that I had read it before I studied it because I would have had to know if you had that reaction on your own without someone would I have would I have come to that Mm -hmm. or um I don't think I did when I was 13 but I was also 13 so I wouldn't have even had the understanding of sex or romance or anything at that stage when I read it but I think I did have an inkling of that when I listened to the audiobook. Like, not massively in your face, but I felt like, God, she's pretty obsessed. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. that question, like, I wonder if it was yeah. more than just like, oh, she's my mistress, but mm-hmm. oh, I wish she was my mistress. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I think as well, like, of that time period, there was a lot of that in that time period. Right. If you sort of think about the bright young things style of writing there was a lot of queer sexuality kind of ebbed secretly into literature in these Mm -hmm. kind of ways so I think um I think if I'd have read read it when I was younger say like 13 14 don't think I would have got it at all Mm -hmm. I think if I'd have read it without studying but had some basic knowledge of the time period I put I think I probably would have thought oh yeah okay yeah all right all right this is Danville all right Danny um yeah (laughs) But yeah, I, so I do kind of wish that I hadn't have read it in in quite so under a microscope, I guess, because mm-hmm. that's those bits were vastly more alive than maybe they would have been, and maybe it would have been something about thinking, oh, you know, she's a bit obsessed. What is this? What is that? Would have added something that I didn't get because I was like, oh yeah, obviously she's obsessed because it's about the bisexuality of Catherine Boyle, you know, which is <laughs> not, not the same as if you're just reading it as fiction. There was another question that came up when I was looking uh, for questions and uh, <laughs> and I never thought of this until I read it and then I was suddenly like, oh shit. So the question is, do you find anyone in this book likable? <laughs> And I suddenly mm. thought, I don't think that I do. And how do I love this book so very much when all mm. of the characters make you want to kind of punch them in the face a bit because they're they're just like missing the mark or they're misunderstanding everything around them. They're so wrapped up in their own world in one way or another, uh, whether that's being insecure, not necessarily selfish, but being so insecure and being so in your own mind and having no way out of that, that it just festers and festers and festers in the narrator's sense and maxim as we find out he's very aloof and removed and not showing any affection to her but clearly he's also um a murderer Mm. and so i you know i wonder (laughs) i mean not clearly but we find out (laughs) that he's a murderer and obviously going into the second reading you're like okay like you can almost forgive it more in a second reading because you know why he may be distant aloof afraid afraid of saying are we happy well if you say we're happy then we are Danvers is just a nightmare character. I mean, I think the only, like, his sister is obnoxious. Giles is kind of a doofus. Mm. Maybe Frank Crawley is the only redeemable character in the entire thing. Or poor Ben. 
or Jasper the dog. I, I don't know. Like, is there anyone likable in this whole book? And like, how how does a book with no redeeming characters in it, or the only redeeming characters being so small, become such a beloved book? Mm. It's very interesting. I guess I guess my first immediate answer that comes to my head when I ask it out loud is the story itself is brilliant and wonderful and keeps you dragging along. But none of the characters are actually, like, I'm not really necessarily rooting for any of them. Especially as an adult, I find I'm just almost annoyed with the narrator and her, like, just ask a question out loud. Like, you could save yourself so much torture. I get that that's how, like we said, how you are at that age. But if everyone would just stop not communicating... Mm -hmm. Well, I suppose the book would be over. So <laughs> it would be very short. It would definitely be very short. Just a, think, a novella. <laughs> I think you're right about um, definitely the first person that popped into my head when you asked the question was Frank Crawley. Um, I think that he's the, he's her only support, and I, I feel like maybe that character was put in there because it was a bit like we need somebody to <laughs> show some kind of help here. Um, I think the sister is quite nice in a brash way yeah um she reminds me of a lot of characters of that kind of bright young things writing um but i quite liked her but i think yeah i think probably frank crawley but i think my favorite character in the whole book is the house because mm. i think the yeah manderley is itself is yeah. a character as much as i feel like rebecca is a character without ever yeah. showing her face but so is the house yeah and the gardens the happy mm -hmm. valley like all the different areas that feel mm -hmm. all the different ways and as much as maybe beck's dad hates the uh the overly descriptive flowery writing of it i think it does create that sense of atmosphere that you just like i miss manderley as well like i think mm -hmm. Even just listening to it, I picture it so vividly in my head and I feel every, the weather and the sound of the waves and the the colors she describes in the garden. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, yeah, it's a, yeah. you're right. That's a great answer, actually. It's, <laughs> it is a good character. It's a beautiful character. You know that it was based on a natural place as well? Ooh, I want to go to there. Yeah, so do I. So... Um, Demori lived in Cornwall and there was a kind of dilapidated house. I want to say it's called Menadilly. Oh, that's could, pretty close. Could be pronouncing that wrong. Um, and she used to walk in the grounds of this house when it was abandoned and she always kind of wanted to get inside it and she really, really loved it. After the book came out, she got in touch with the people who, the family that owned the, the house. And she ended up renting it off them. So she stayed there for quite a number of years, I think at least 20 years. And then it changed hands again. I think the family wanted to take it back in. So she ended up having to move out. But yeah, so it's a, a really, apparently you can't, you can't visit it as such. It's kind of nestled in these big grounds, so you can't see it. But it does sit um, at the, the, on the side of a sea cliff. And there's a little cottage in the cove. You can walk down to it. So that's all real. Um, so yeah, I'm a bit obsessed with going there as well. <laughs> I think with the characters, I think, um, I'm not sure it's specific. I don't, I don't think the characterization is specifically about the individual people. And I think that is kind of given away in the fact that she doesn't name 
this main character, I think what she's saying in that is actually the people don't matter. The unspokenness matters. The psychology matters. Like The story I'm telling you is about the psychology of human beings. It's not about individuals. It's not about who, how we engage with people as individuals. It's not about what Maxim's favorite color is, you know? It's about the psychology of human beings and the psychology of secrecy and uh, unspokenness. And I think she's kind of saying that by not giving our, our main character, the person who's telling us mm-hmm. all of her thoughts and feelings, a name. It, like, it doesn't matter. She doesn't, she, she's nameless. The individuals are just parts of uh, that psychological relationship that we have with ourselves and our sensitivities and our vulnerabilities and our needs and our obsessions and our loves they're they're ways of portraying those psychological things rather than the psychology portraying the characters which is what we're more used to in in literature especially fiction that's a good point you can read more about that in my essay (laughs) on (laughs) okay do you actually have any like excerpts or anything from that oh no that was no i I haven't i haven't got any actual quotes okay maybe we should put it on patreon (laughs) you gotta pay to read these things support the podcast high school or not high school college 10 yeah god it 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 generally was quite because i remember being quite smart then but then i was reading it and i was just like what the fuck dude also, you got 84 for this essay. Who was marking this? <laughs> Come on. I'm desperate to read it. Um, yeah. Um, sure. So I think this is a book we could talk about forever, and I'm conscious that we shouldn't. Um, but we can't not, especially since one of them has just come out. Mm. Uh, we can't not discuss <laughs> Beck is making horrified faces. The adaptation. So originally... Uh, Alfred Hitchcock is like probably the biggest Du Maurier fan ever because yeah. he made several of her books yeah. and short stories into films. And he did them all really well. He did. So I love his ad- adaptations. Hats off, Alfred. Good job. Well done, Hitch. Because you know what he didn't do with them? What he didn't do was write a completely different story. <laughs> Can anyone tell how Beck feels the about name. the 2020 adaptation of this let, book? Let me describe to you as well how I was watching this. Yes, My please very set the dear, scene. Uh, let me set set the pandemic scene. Um, my One of my oldest and dearest friends, who loves Rebecca as well, came over um, when we were allowed to see people inside um, to watch it. We were very excited because we've both, this book has existed in both of our lives for a really long time. Um, And we haven't seen each other because of all the lockdowns. It's like, well, come come down, we'll have some food, we'll have some wine, we'll watch Rebecca. So we put it on, we're like, sit back. Within about 30 seconds, both of us sort of look at each other like, what is happening? <laughs> what is what is happening with this story? <laughs> I don't understand why there seems to be some sort of like lovely sprouting love romance going on. And why is he giving her a name? And what is going like all of this stuff was just sort of not in the book. And so not in the book. Like it wasn't even the story. It was yeah. it was so shiny and glossied and turned into this kind of 
not great romance, but still like beautiful love story that was going to go bad. And that is not what happened in the book. And we just, we, we got through till uh, when she was kind of creeping around Mandalay at night. And then we were just like, cut, no, I can't watch. No, <laughs> I can't do it. It just hurts. Mm-hmm. It hurts my heart. Because there's so much in this book. And even if he wanted to do an adaptation that did kind of take elements and showcase those elements and, and discarded some others, there's so many ways you could have done that, mm. but have been true to the book. And this just made up another story and called it Rebecca. Yep. I, I, why? I Call it Hannah and do something else. <laughs> it's just, it, it really angered me. But we didn't get it all the way through because we just, I think, I think when you've held a book for so long and it's been part of your life for mm. so long and you see something so wrong yeah. done to it. It, it was very difficult yeah. to watch it. We, mm. could, we couldn't go all the way through. Yeah. I think... Um... Gemma. <laughs> what were I, your thoughts? Uh, we, we had a, a brief text exchange while, while I was watching it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, we have to save this for the podcast. But I'm so <laughs> angry. I just I need know. to yell about this now. There was a lot of capital letters in that exchange. Um, mm. uh, oh, I want to. I want to be nice and and say, you know, when it opened visually, the Monte Carlo section, okay, um, as a visual representation of of that atmosphere, I, I'm I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Um, the wardrobe was amazing. Yep, wardrobe was great. That's um, about all lighting, I can say. Yeah. Some of the lighting as well was yeah. really. It, it was a it was a beautiful to look at yeah. as a film that has nothing yeah. to do with the book. If that you I put wrote. it on mute, then <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah. it would have been more successful. But unfortunately, I also feel like if you if you hadn't read the book, or if you didn't, you weren't looking to associate it with the book. It's not a very good film no. either. Yeah, no. the storyline yeah. just is a bit. Yeah, it some falls of the writing flat. Was- very bad the write, some of the writing <laughs> like some there i i can't remember what bit but some of the just the exchanges they were having were just written really yep. badly and mm-hmm. I, you were kind of sitting there thinking what are you trying to make me feel here yeah yep. because i like the irony what? the irony of the fact that there's no chemistry between the two leads but that doesn't mean <laughs> that it works in a representation of that terrible relationship because yeah it, and obviously the casting, don't even get me started. Like, mm-hmm. she's too old, he's too young. Yeah. The dynamic doesn't work. Oh, man. You know, yeah. Kristen uh, Scott Thomas, amazing. Yeah. She uh, did the best she could with a poorly written role. Yeah. Like, I would almost argue, because I was like, oh, she's not old enough, she's not whatever. Then I went back and watched Hitchcock, and I was like, Danvers and the Hitchcock is no. super young. Yeah, she's not so that old. So Kristen Scott Thomas actually, like, really well cast. Yep. And she was creepy, but they sexualized yeah. her, which was bizarre. Yeah, how weird was that? And she wasn't given, like, the moments where I was like, okay, literally, because I was sitting with Nicole, my flatmate, I was cross-stitching. I wasn't compelled to look up from it. So that was one. Whereas when we watched the Hitchcock one the next night, I was actually watching. watching. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, when it came to the scene in Rebecca's room, I was like, okay, let's see how they do this. Mm -hmm. This is a moment that they could have done. Like, because for me, that's one of the most cinematic. I mean, I I guess arguably it's not cinematic because it's more psychological. Mm -hmm. But I was like, this is one of the creepiest parts. Mm -hmm. How do they do it? Mm -hmm. Horribly done. Yep. Um, Too short. 
They didn't. They but there was no tension. There was no, no in tension. Any of it. And then I was, was like waiting for really the window fat. scene, which obviously Becky yeah. didn't even get to. No. Hor- like it was awful. Just I, I, the the two opportunities you had to like bring it back to the moment mm. you failed completely. The ball. Oh. <laughs> the, oh, the sort of like weird, oh. cheap horror things. The like imaginative stuff of her like falling through the floor when she's following him sleepwalking at night which is a complete I, I just kept turning to Nicole that doesn't happen in the book that doesn't happen in the book because she's read it but she read it so long ago mm-hmm. she was like is this and I'm like nope nope completely <laughs> made up doesn't make any sense completely unnecessary but also that's that I mean that's fine because part of adaptation is obviously taking something from one form to another yeah. but it's what you have to do is remain true to the text. Yep. You can't just make up random things to build a transition or a segue because you need to get from one scene to the other. Mm-hmm. You actually have to be true to what is happening in the book. So you need to be emotionally connected or psychologically connected, especially in this mm-hmm. bloody book. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just no tension and no emotion. And you're just sat there like, what? and like you say, the the part of that is removed just from the casting of a woman a woman who is a woman <laughs> way too old and a young attractive sort of suave charming guy yeah. and like you've already removed the tension of this vulnerable young girl yeah. and this powerful older man mm-hmm. so what, yeah, what, are you, what story are you trying yeah. to tell so then when you make up these things you know it's it like it's so off the bloody page yeah. It's just unnecessary. It just really annoys me. I know that it's hard to adapt things, especially from books that people really love and have a connection to, but I ju- it just drives me a bit mad when the adaptation is so far removed yeah. from the the whole premise of the book, which is vulnerable, powerless girl fighting against all of these more powerful figures, alive or dead, you know, so to then turn it into some weird sort of almost like coming of age story where she then finds her power mm. and uses it to protect her new life in some way and then kills Danvers, at, but like makes Danvers jump off a cliff at the end almost to be like the old life is gone now and you've seen it happen and you wit like what story are you fucking telling? Yeah, that's literally what I shouted at the screen. But I think once again, another thing we can go on forever, but I think to, to wrap up um, the our opinion mm-hmm. uh, or our general thought on this new thing, which I think I'm most sad that this will be a certain generation's introduction yeah. to this story. And yeah. it's just so Annoying. awful that that should be anyone's first impression. It's like impression. Gatsby as well. Like, yeah, really you could say the same about Gatsby. People have seen the Gatsby and I'm like, oh my life, please, please <laughs> don't watch the Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio version of Gatsby. <laughs> And that that is often yeah, it's often people's yeah. first. That's that's the what's most disappointing to yeah, me yeah. is that some people will watch this and think that's what the book mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. or will never read the book because oh, I saw the movie and it's like no, you've you've missed the whole point of yeah. the book. Um, but I think Rotten Tomatoes has summed it up best <laughs> uh, in their critics' consensus, which I think I screenshot and sent to back, and it's uh, they say it better. Basically, everything we've yelled about in the past fifteen twenty minutes, they sum up in. Uh, one sentence. Ben Wheatley's Rebecca remake is ravishing to behold, but it never quite gets to the heart of the classic source material or truly justifies its own existence. Yep. Yep. 
Yeah. Like, why did yeah. you make yeah. this? What was the point? Yeah. There was no point for you to make this film. It doesn't say what the story said, but it also doesn't say anything compelling. No. N- that's new. Like, it doesn't it doesn't tell a new story that's compelling. Mm-hmm. It's just a thing that's been made for the sake of making it. And I'll it... tell you maybe it says one thing. Oh, God. And I'm wondering <laughs> if this maybe links back to... Um, sort of the way that uh, Daphne du Maurier herself would kind of hide uh, bits of her own identity and the way that she wrote, especially around sexuality, as a lot of people did then. And I think maybe it says something interesting about the fact that actually we can't tell a story which is just man treating women badly. We have to change the way we perceive that and glamorize the man still Mm -hmm. and almost put the woman in this sense of stand by your man thing you know removing her powerlessness as a result of being the behavior of the male and putting it into her responsibility Mm -hmm. that's the way we have to tell this story and we're still doing that Mm. and the way that Daphne du Maurier had to tell her story and other people similarly around sexuality and how uh, the unspokenness of selfhood then becomes a powerlessness which ends up dictating your life is still the way that we're telling these stories of basically people that aren't straight white men Mm -hmm. and also just a just a point I wanted to ask you guys what you thought of. The only impression or the only version of Rebecca we have as a person is his version. Mm. So yeah. you're supposed to sympathize with him in all the versions. Um because yeah. she was so that she was she, a monster. Yeah, she, she was is, such yeah. a bitch. What? Because she yeah. was independent? Because she yeah. knew her own mind, because she was powerful and strong. I don't yeah. know. How dare she? I know. How dare she? You know what? I've opinions. actually never really sympathized or thought about that. I, I, I always just right. assumed he was talking crap. I mean, like, really? I, you know, the way that he spoke about her is just like, you know, poor him having to put. I always just assumed he was making up this thing to cover yep. for his own badness. Yeah. That's that's how I always read it. Nobody else in the book like, says, oh, yeah, no, she was arrogant or. A total bitch, basically. Yeah. Nobody else says that. The only other comments they make are about how beautiful she, she was. So and yeah. how she was not afraid of anything. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So So she was a, a ballsy, you know, mm-hmm. knew her own mind woman, which is not allowed then or apparently now, well, Mr. Yeah. Wheatley. So she needed you. to be murdered. Killed. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the only way. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah, you can't have a divorce. Put them in the sea. Put... <laughs> Feminists in the sea. Feminists, put them in the sea. That's where they belong. That's the synopsis uh, we should have yeah. gone with to start. Drown them in their own over-emotional tears. <laughs> um. The salty, salty water. <laughs> yeah, um, good God. And th- that's it. That's a perfect note to end on. Um, <laughs> but I would ask the question that we always ask, uh, Gemma. Mm-hmm. Um who would you recommend this book to and why? It's a different thing when it's a classic, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, mm-hmm. we've already read it, but in just in case, yeah. like who who do you feel this book should be read by? Um, I think it, the reason the big reason why I chose the book is because I thought it needs to be something that people read. Um I would re- recommend it to anyone who feels like they're stuck in their own head and anyone who struggles to realize that thoughts aren't facts. And just because you believe something to be true doesn't mean it is. Um, 
and I think it's a good thing to read as 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 the observer seeing somebody else do that. Um, so yeah, like <laughs> women. <laughs> uh, sorry, that's a bit sexist. Um, um, but yeah, that, that as I said, that's why I, I chose it because I thought anybody who has seen that horrendous version, please read the book. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, it's, I know it sounds a bit vague to be like, oh yeah, I recommend it to everyone. But I think yeah, women who are told that they're emotional are told that they think too much. You know, yeah. read this and see what it what um what it looks like from the outside and. Yeah, just it, yeah. it maybe helps you to understand that not everything that you believe is is true. And I think as well uh, in in doing that, it should be rebranded and not called a romance because I think perpetuating this idea that this is what romance is. Yeah. And I'm going to be fair to Ben Wheatley and say that maybe that's then not his fault for making such a bad film <laughs> because if we're perpetuating this idea that romance is this kind of vulnerable power struggle that women have where they're not actually allowed to have their own voice, Mm -hmm. then, I mean, for one thing, that's really fucked up. I just heard myself say it out loud and I was like, what? Mm -hmm. But I think maybe it needs to be rebranded as a psychological thriller. Mm -hmm. People shouldn't approach it as a romance and it should stop be seen as a romance and then apply that to everything you also just said about why people should read Mm -hmm. it. I think we've got something that sits maybe in a happier context. Yeah, I think for for me, I never, like, when I think, oh, it's a gothic romance, I actually never really thought of the romance bit as being the love, quote-unquote, love story, which Mm -hmm. doesn't exist between the two characters. I just thought, when I think gothic romance, I think of the style of writing, which is that rich, really atmospheric, you know, kind of thing, which she does so well. So for me, it's just romantic way of writing. Mm -hmm, Like, mm -hmm. you know, we throw back to the bloody chamber, that's not romantic. None of those stories Aww, are romantic. It is. <laughs> but I find yeah. it romantic the way it's written. That beautiful, you know, prose, mm-hmm. lyrical, poetic thing. So when I think of Rebecca as a romance, I that's how I've pictured that word being used. Yeah. But I, I think you're right. No one would necessarily yeah. see that and think that. Yeah. So. yeah. But it's also a romantic, yeah. um, a, what's what I'm looking for? dedication to the the house and the yeah she's drafted yeah if anything all the romantic rich beautiful prose is not about any of the people in it it's about the place it's about the setting it's about the sea um Mm -hmm. so yeah i agree if if anything it's it's a romance with cornwall yeah Yeah, love you cornwall (laughs) the dedication to cornwall um i am dying to know what quote you've chosen you've chosen one have you uh yeah yeah my favourite quote is the opening line, but that's so basic. Of course. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I quite like this one. So, this house shelters us. We spoke, we loved within those walls. That was yesterday. Today we pass on, we see it no more, and we are different. Changed in some infinitesimal way. We can never be quite the same again. Mm. And there it point. is. It's a romance yeah. with the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Also, I know we didn't mention it, but the first line of the book is like, it is really good. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's just one of those classic, like, you. Last you know, night I dreamed that... we went to Manderley again. It's, yeah. It's You're like not part gonna of the zeitgeist. Like, yeah. Really, yeah. that yeah. sentence is. I feel yeah. like it doesn't work yeah. in kind of accent, feel... though, so Bex has to see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bex, Bex is the closest that can do justice. She's not even <laughs> technically English. Um, we need someone from Cornwall to say it. <laughs> um fuck nice cool thanks yeah 
I guess I guess we end it now. I don't know. I don't remember how to end it. <laughs> what was it you said earlier? And then it ends. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, Jem, uh, Gemma, thank you so much for picking this book. I'm so delighted somebody did and I still got to talk about it because yeah. it's one of my favorites. Um is there do you have any like social media you would like uh listeners to follow you follow you on? Um I have your bookstagram. Yeah, I have a bookstagram. Um it's gonna be quite hard to um <laughs> you need to see it written down, but it's um Hag Tessie book bookshelves because I write a weird and wonderful things blog called the hag tessie we'll put it in the show notes don't yeah, worry yeah <laughs> and yeah I try to upload my plinths and other findings onto onto my instagram yeah <laughs> wonderful stuff well thank you so much again it has been an absolute pleasure and what a way to kick off season three even thank with you. this stunning book so thank you so much as a gift yeah it's um, been great. beck how do we finish an episode I don't remember. I, um, I don't know. Uh, so, okay. Season three, it's happening. Um, I, usually I would invite people to apply to be guests, but we're... We have so many We have right so now. many applications right now. Um, <laughs> please don't. Please don't come on this podcast. <laughs> I No, I, I mean, you can... You're more than welcome to apply. So go to yaopod.com. Um, I just can't promise you'll be in this season. It will season, be a while. Uh, yeah. Or it will be anytime soon. But I, I mean, that's a delightful problem to have. And I'm so glad that we have it. Um, but you can follow uh, and read along with us uh, at yaopod.com and Instagram at yaopod, uh, Facebook. We've got a Facebook group. Come discuss things with my mom there. And um, yeah, like, I don't know what else to say. It's so bizarre not to be imploring people to apply anymore. Have a nice day. <laughs> Is that our yeah. new? Is that our that's, new sign that's, that's what we say now. <laughs> have a nice day, everyone. Have a nice, have a nice day. Happy reading. Um, we'll see you next episode with a, Time. I think, dystopian young adult novel. I'm still trying to figure out if it's dystopian or not. I'm oh, only halfway yeah. through. Mm-hmm. It's weird, but it's wonderful. I'm loving it, it very quite much. Strange. It's very yeah. strange. So it look forward to that. Book. It's a good one uh, that uh, I'm excited to talk about. And uh, have a nice day. (laughs) Have have a nice day. Bye, friends. I'm going to stop recording now. Cool. (laughs) I don't even know what that was. Your Own Words is hosted by Alison Dunnings and Becky Graham. Our theme music is by Natasha Pasternak. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. Read along with us at yowpod.com. 